Welcome to the IRL podcast, where we look at IR in real life. My name is Mariana Sansoni, and my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am studying international relations with a focus in international development at Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts. In this three-part series on this podcast, I will be exploring how theories of international relations surrounding refugees in particular impacts policy in different nations and what that policy looks like in actuality once the refugees arrived in developed countries like the U.S. In this first episode, I will focus on laying a foundation for more traditional IR theory, like realism and liberalism, and contrasting that with a newer lens and theory of um, critical theory, and kind of building a framework to help us understand how and why foreign policy is made. So let's just jump right in. What is international relations? The way I describe it to my friends is that it's the study of how and why countries, which we refer to as states more often than not, act the way they do. In this field, we examine how culture, history, politics, economics, development, and so many other things influence the way states respond. By studying these things, we attempt to try to predict how states will respond to future settings and come up with solutions and frameworks for understanding um, current policies and the way the world is today. So one of the oldest methods that we use and theory frameworks that we use in international relations, and it's actually the first one we kind of learned in school, is about realism. As with most theoretical lenses, the number of branches and sub-branches of realism is vast. Nonetheless, one of the main tropes is the base need to gain and maintain power. In realism, there's a fundamental understanding that states act in a, quote, fundamental state of nature. And what this looks like in layman's terms is states are always acting with only their base instincts to either protect the power they already have or seize more power to protect and expand. And regardless of domestic politics, states act as unitary actors, meaning they only act like as one thing, nothing outside or inside influences how they act. But if I had to summarize realism in just a few words, it would be politics and power. Politics are the main driving force for the way that states act towards each other. And underneath every decision as a state actor, the base need of human nature and its need for power can be understood and predicted. Realism is not only a lens for traditional IR theory, but there's also another theory or a common umbrella, and that's liberalism. liberalism. And I don't mean liberal as we often think about the word in American politics, but instead more Western than anything else. In my research, Andrew Morovich articulated the three core assumptions about liberalism across the whole theory lens the best, and he says them as followed. The first core assumption is fundamental actors in world politics are individuals and privately constituted groups with autonomous preferences. The second core assumption is governments and states represent a subset of domestic social actors. And the third assumption is interstate behavior is shaped primarily by the pattern of states' preferences and not just by state power. 
And what that really means is like, first off, going back to the first core assumption is fundamental actors in the world politics are individuals and privately constituted groups. This is very different than realism. And realism is like the state is one actor by itself. And liberalism is allowing for like, nope, there are businesses and corporations that are um, not even just inside a country, but outside a country. And the individuals that make up a state are what kind of makes it move and function. They have autonomous preferences. They have what they want. And it goes into a second point that the governments of these states are made up of these autonomous preferences from social and domestic actors. And it really kind of sets itself up for democracy. And one of the core assumptions is like the individuals of the state should choose how states act. It's not just based off of base of nature and how, um, people are searching for power like in realism and in the third the interstate behavior is shaped primarily by the pattern of state preferences is really important it plays into the second part because it's not just um how individuals who elect their government but it's really like how their behaviors um indicate which means like some uh, country from latinx uh, or latin america might uh, act very different than let's say a south asian country and their individuals and their cultures and things are going to play a part in how they act with each other whereas in realism it kind of like took this approach of like oh we're just going to act in the basis of power, how at its natural state with no individual or private actors. And liberalism is kind of the basis for how much of the world operates today. Rather than states acting as like one unit driven by base instincts for power, like in realism, liberalism acknowledges the role that domestic and foreign influences play in how states respond to different things. A key tenet of liberalism is private property rights, which is a fundamental understanding of both capitalism and democracy. And without this assumption of private property rights and the rights of the individual, um, much of liberalism wouldn't be what it is, which is why it's so different from realism, which puts the state as the head and the center and the needs of the state as a whole, or the state overtake the needs of the individual. The third category of theories that we'll be examining is called critical theory, and it's a little bit different than uh, realism or liberalism like we've been talking about. Um, it's more of a broad theory-based concept, which includes a lot of different, um, not necessarily competing ideas, but um, different spectrum ideas. So what I found that I think best summarizes it um, was by Raymond Duvall and Letha Oh, I'm not even going to try the last name, Vedarjan. Um, but they said in their paper, um, the best way to describe critical theory is to, quote, share a commitment to challenging the naturalness of the existing world order and the acceptance of dominant relations and practices of power. Critical theory focuses on analysis of the effects of power on the differential ability of actors to control their own circumstances. So specifically what I wanted to focus on with critical theory is the concept of biopower. And biopower was first introduced by Foucault. And what it kind of boils down to are how institutions also affect um, how states act and how um, they work and cooperate within each other, whether it's institutions like the United Nations or um, NGO institutions. 
particularly we're going to be focusing on officials um, definition of biopower which i really like because it is she uses a really good metaphor of the body to describe and explain the happenings and why countries do what they do and how everything is really interconnected So what Fischl is doing is she's moving a little bit more away from traditional biopolitics when it comes to um, the negative view that they often have in literature, and she's specifically positing positive body politics. She, quote, says, I argue that biopower is to be grasped not merely as the capture of life as an object of power, but as intense, creative, infinite, and in its spinzel intake, in which life became subject as well. This reversal of biopolitical critique is one that emphasizes the vital connection and entanglement of responsibility. It is an underlying theme of all the chapters in her book. This book takes life as creative intense as a creative intensity that can offer new solutions and new ways of engaging with the world. And so she has a couple different ways in which she like sections off. Um, I'm taking this from her book. But um, the first thing that is the most important is to have, quote, a rethinking of ethics and responsibility leading to a diffuse sort of ontological gratitude for the post-human era towards towards a multitude of non-human agents that support us. And so like all those sound like a lot of really big words, what she's really saying here is she was wanting to think of the ethics and responsibility, um, similar to how a doctor thinks of the ethics and responsibility of taking care of the body as a whole. Um, She wants us to view the world politics as that. Um, Often in more traditional theories, we're thinking about, oh, what's best for the state of whatever, the state of Azerbaijan, the state of Bhutan, the state of the United States, and how they interact with one each other and always having those alternative motives of power. Um, And what she's saying is we need to take a step back from like just the individual state needs and more of the broad, like holistically, what do we need as this world and the ethics surrounding that? I think a really good example is climate change. Climate change affects everybody on this planet, but we often take an individualistic approach to it. The second implication that she says for her biopower is, quote, is it's explicitly political. Human politics needs organized collectives, institutions, and organizations to reflect the dreams and of nested subjectives, which is what she's saying here is that um, human politics need to be able to come together and like work towards a goal and it's not just one not just france working towards the paris climate agreement it's the united states it's china it's all of these other countries and organizations and institutions um for example in realism it's really just like oh well what is affecting just china and china's just going to focus on that but what she's saying here is like no, 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 we're going to need those organizations that are multilateral and go across nations um, that aren't just focused on the economics like liberalism is. And Fischl actually has a name for this concept, um, and it's not 
just indignant of what Fischl believes but also of critical theory in general but it's called pluralism and the way she describes it as pluralism encompasses more than a commitment to secular or liberal multiculturalism as it entails more than just an acceptance of diversity and a tolerance towards that which is different. Supporters of pluralism must engage with energetic interest across lines of difference and importantly support differences as if their own lives and freedoms depended on it. Uh, She goes on to say, one such way we might build a new understanding of global practices that recognize the vital and shared material of our human constitution and furthermore conceive that these materials as lively and self-organizing rather than just passive and mechanical means under the direction of something non-material that is an active soul or mind, which I think is a really radical way to think about politics and pluralism in general. What she's really saying here is um, we need to look at, I don't want to say spirituality, but I think the soul and mind, I think spirituality is the best way to describe that, of the existence of being human. And I don't mean like in a a religious sense, but I mean in the spirit of humanity, like what is it like to have the shared experience um, on this earth? And pluralism, as she describes it, is a great way to like take in all of the different needs and like what is all the different needs of humans and I don't want to say rank them but yes to rank them like there are things that go beyond just what the United States needs or just what France needs or just what Guatemala needs um and I think in her theory of pluralism it really is a good way of looking at the world that is so much different than um realism or so much different than liberalism that is just so individual um and it's looking at more things as a collective approach and i really like how she emphasizes the energetic interest across lines of difference because like in liberalism like yes diversity is good we want to be able to trade we want to be able to have um capitalism which relies on people specializing and trading and what they're good at but um in her theory of positive bio um, biopower or pluralism it's really just a celebration of these different and how we can use them to make and become better solutions that aren't just like a one-size-fits-all, which is often the approach with realism, with realism being like, oh, the power behind something, or liberalism where it's like, oh, states are doing what's best um, for just their state, but also like understanding what's needing. There needs to be trade and intercooperation between them. So now that we've kind of defined like what is realism, what is liberalism, and what is critical theory, um, how is this going to be applied? Like what what can we do with all of this information? And so I think what I'm really going to focus on in this series is like how this affects refugees in particular because we could go into many different case studies on like how realism is applied, um, whether it's war or peace or economics or development um, and what all of that means. But I think we're really going to focus on refugees, particularly um, what is it that each of these theories says about borders? Because I think when you think about the refugee experience, um, the definition of a refugee is someone who is fleeing like war, persecution, like they're fleeing for their lives and having to leave their home and their country and go to someplace new. Um, 
And while that's a very personal experience, I think in the theoretical realm, like this is where we need to look at how states interact with each other and why they are going to war and where theory fits into the reasons behind predicting what's going to happen and then like having solutions for these problems of refugees and things like that. And I think what we really need to focus on is like, what is a border? Um, and what do each of these theories think is a border? In realism, a border is something that is very poignant and very defined. Um, a border is a lot of where your power is most vulnerable as well as the strongest. And like we said with realism, it's very much focused on the power of the state and the state as like one unit making decisions all together. Um, and these borders often are a point of contention, a point to gain power, to lose power, um, and they play a really big role in that. And so like, what does that look like for refugees? Well, I think a lot of the reason we have refugees, um, for example, in the Middle East is because Western countries came in and drew those borders without um, really input of the local people. And so there's a lot of contention along these borders. Um, let's look at Africa, for example, and what's going on in Eritrea currently. Borders are a large part of like why people are going to war with each other. They're trying to seize back land and power and um, culture in how are these arbitrary borders are drawn and so this is like a really good approach of like well realism is like yeah that makes sense for why they're going to war whereas like in a liberalist view of borders it's more of um well we have you don't want to go to war with someone because we all have a common interest we all want to develop we all want to make money we all want to have our own democracy um as seen by the west as the best um and so borders are seen as this thing of like yes we have them but we're able to work across them um but they still have like economic and barriers and whatnot um but when it comes to uh critical theory borders get a little bit more nuanced i think yes there's actually there are borders that are drawn and there's something good to be said about them but it's wanting to take more of a look at like holistically well like why are borders drawn at like a place that divides two people um you can look at azerbaijan and the war they just recently went to um and what's going on is like borders separate people so why are we not doing this as a way why are we not redrawing borders why are we not um making it so humans can flow back and forth and looking at this holistic approach for like well what's happening with refugees and what is a border and why does the border not have to change and so i think we're going to explain this a little bit more um in the second episode where we're going to really dive into like two different case studies um on like the effects of borders and how they were drawn and then what that means for refugees and why um how foreign policies have affected that So with that, I think we're going to finish up this last episode. Thank you so, so much for tagging along. Um, like I said, next episode, we're really going to be focusing on foreign policy and borders and like what these different views of international relations mean um, in actuality and like what these theories and how they influence foreign policy. But thank you so much for tagging along today and where we talk about the different theories of how international relations uses um, them to predict what countries and states are going to do and how and why they're going to react the way they do and uh, different ways to solve problems. So I look forward to seeing you in this next episode. Thank you so much and have a great day. Bye.